Welcome to our latest episode of the Backcheck the Hockey History Podcast. My name is Riley. Over there is Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Doing all right, thanks. And uh, today I, I'm calling this episode Two Dugs and a Duke because the theme is centers, uh, two of whom are named Doug and one of whom is nicknamed Duke. And uh, two of whom played around this, some, somewhat of a career overlap. Yeah. So uh, for this episode, our eligible player, as always, we have an eligible player, uh, a recently inducted player, and an old-timer. Uh, our eligible player is Doug Waite. Um, our recently inducted player is Doug Gilmore. And our old-timer is Gordon uh, Duke Keats, or I guess Keats. I mean, I'm pronouncing it like the poet, basically. I, I don't know if that's correct, but I'm going to go with it. Um, so full disclosure before we get into uh, this, Doug Gilmore was my absolute favorite player for the brief period of like two years that I was a Leafs fan when I was in my tweens and early teens before I went and Gretzky killed hockey for me for four or five years. Uh, and so I have, you know, an irrational... I love him. Also, when I got back into hockey in the late 90s, Doug Waite became one of my favorite players briefly until I realized how unbelievably defensively irresponsible he was. But it took me a few years. Um, and so I have, like, huge stakes in this game because the two guys who, when I was younger, I really, really liked. So uh, I'm going to try not to be too biased. But uh, and, and very different players, too. Weirdly, like, why, why I gravitated to them. I mean, different times in my life, but like, I don't know. Anyway, I was a big, I was a, it was the Oilers. One of the things that got me back in the hockey were the Oilers Stars series, playoff series in the late nineties, which is why I became a fan of Doug Waite because I was of course cheering for the Canadian team and the underdog. And Yeah, they were, they were actually just talking to uh, Mike Medano on the Montreal radio uh, yesterday and talking about those, those series. And he's like, they were a lot of fun to play in, but boy, you really wanted to get them over with quick. Yeah. Beating, <laughs> so it was, uh, it was interesting to hear him sort of reminisce about them. Yeah, yeah. I, I every year, just like every year, and like even though sometimes they would be a sweep or a gentleman sweep, they were close, right? Like I remember one year it was like every game was one goal game, but Dallas won every game. But it was like one goal. Then you were. It was also when Dallas was just like you know a defensive. Uh, like that's all they did. They didn't score much, so yeah, they were they were they were a powerhouse team though. And the Oilers were always an eight seed, and they gave them a heck of a money like every time. Yeah, and what was so impressive. And the thing was back then too, wasn't like it is now. Like we're having a crazy upset playoff this year. Um, you know the the Kings have won a cup from the eighth. Um, yeah, that didn't happen back then at all. Like, yeah, so rare to have an upset like that, and the Oilers every time would just give them fits. Yeah. And one year, and one year they beat them. Though I don't know that they were the eighth seed the year they beat them, but one year they did. Sure, I'm pretty sure they were. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm not the not I'm not an Oilers fan, but uh, oh. even if they were, maybe it was a two and a seven, but it was like a yeah. Five. No, they were a lower seed for oh. sure. I just don't remember if they were eighth or seventh. I don't. I don't remember uh, or sixth. Uh, yeah, that that Todd Mar uh, that Todd Marshall goal. Yeah. Just man, you, and uh, when Booker. Took that massive hit when they tied it too. Just like every like every goal in that series was every hit. Like guys were just killing each other. They used to just bash each other around like you wouldn't believe. Um, well, that's I think that was part of the thing that like got me back into it. Right, was like 
I was, you know, in my mid to late teens and male and enjoyed <laughs> seeing like this fairly violent version of hockey, like what felt like very high stakes hockey, like just, you know, they were, it was just, it was, it felt more high stakes than some of the Leafs series around at the same time where the Leafs were considerably, uh, the Leafs were a different team at that point, right? Like they were finesse and, and very European and, you know, anyway, um, so that's why I, for a while, I loved Doug Waite. So Doug Waite, uh, he played for about 20 years, 91 to 20, uh, 2011, so 19 seasons because of the lockout. Um, he is fifth all American all-time in assists, and I just wanted to point out he was also fifth uh, all-time in assists per game among Americans until uh, Johnny Gaudreau, or Gaudreau, or however you pronounce it, uh, started having better years. Patrick Kane, too, but Patrick Kane's been, you know, not having tons of assists lately, but uh, for the last few years. But uh, Johnny Gaudreau has recently uh, passed both uh, Pat Lafontaine and Doug Waite, so they bumped them down a bit. So, so, you know, he is he is one of the better American passers, and we should remember that he did this much of this in the uh, the dead puck clutching grab era, right? Like his career overlaps the whole thing of it. Um, so he was, uh, right. Cause that started around what 95, 96 and it went into the lockout and that was the majority of Doug Waite's career. Yep. He was drafted, um, 34th overall in a, in a draft we've talked a lot about, uh, already. It's the Yager draft. Oh boy. Um, there were just, I don't know. 15 players to play at least a thousand games Man. Um, and only three players to uh, score a thousand points, including Doug Waite. But of course that's because we're talking the era we're talking about, you know, it was not an era where a lot of people scored a point per game, but we've got your, your lowest of the, thou- of the, the many, many players to play in at least a thousand games. Craig Conroy is the guy who's just over a thousand. But you have like this draft is like uh, Yager, uh, just by games played, Yager, Daryl Sador, Montembroder, Waite, Keith Kachuk, Owen Nolan, uh, Slava, uh, one of the Kozlovs, I think Slava, uh, Jeff Sanderson, Mike Ricci, Peter Bondra, Sergey Zubov, Brian Smolinski, Darren Hatcher, Brad May, Craig Conroy, Peter, uh, Robert Lang, Peter Nebbed, Ken Klee, Keith Primo, Lexi Jamnov, Chris Simon, Jason York, Yaroslav Modri, Michael Randall, Richard Smalik, uh, Potvin, uh, Kovalenko, Karpatsev, uh, Zelopukin, Drake Barahowski. <laughs> like, yeah. there's a lot of players. It's a lot of players, man. That's like, that's, that's probably like, uh, like a good tenth of the NHL one draft at one point, you know? Like, yeah. No, it's 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 crazy. If you go down, if you were to put the cutoff at five hundred games, we're we're or sorry, five hundred games played, we're talking about just eyeballing it. I think we're talking about like fifty players, forty or fifty. Like it's a lot. Like that's that's like that's rare. I feel like at least. I I mean I I would think a lot of drafts that many players might make it to the NHL, but for them to stick and be players whose names you remember has been like, oh yeah, that guy was in the league for a while. Like yeah, that's yeah. very Yeah, like 
actually quite short if you take all the guys who play in 50 games or less and then just flame out and they get sent back to the AHL and they never make it again. It's like, those are, it's more often the case, especially, you know, and back then too, like to have so many hits in like later rounds, is really impressive. Um, So the other thing is that like a lot of these drafts we talk about will, will be good for skaters or goalies or, you know, not usually both. This this draft had Broder, Potvin, Mike Dunham, Trevor Kidd, Roman Turek, and the 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 great Corey Schwab. Uh, but like you know, there's like there's there's three four starters hmm. in this draft. One of whom you know is in the Hall of Fame, but the rest of them were at least at some point teams trusted them as their starting goaltender. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so uh, you know uh, that's also like. I mean, I don't know. This draft, I mean, we talked about it a whole bunch of times, but it is, at least in terms of games played, it has to be one of the most successful overall for the league because there's just so many guys who made it, you know, and who, who played and had at least, like like you said, names that you can remember. Like, I, I could have kept going. <laughs> there's a few other people I didn't mention when I was still going. Um, anyway, so uh, Wade is... Uh, is second in assists, which is not a surprise behind Yager. Um, third in points um, behind uh, Yager and Keith Kachuk. And uh, eighth in goals because Waite didn't score a lot of goals. Um, the important thing we should talk about with Doug Waite, which will probably come up again, is he was a minus player. And so, of course, he's almost last in the draft in plus minus because he's minus 58 for his career. Um, era wise, he's uh, how, how much of that would have come when he was playing for the Islanders, though? At the end, he's minus, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Let's look that up. I remember, like, really sort of falling off a cliff right at the end of his career, there. Yeah, no, he 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 was generally always a I was minus a lot, though, all the time. Like, he has one year where he's minus 15 for the Islanders, but he has a year in Edmonton where he was minus 22. Okay, so that's the year he scored 104 points, he was minus 19. <laughs> Which is like it begs the question. Like, I would love to know his ice time for that season. Yeah, because uh, that was that was before they started tracking it. But like, you wonder, like, were you a like just the worst in your own end, or b were you just played like an insane amount and Edmonton was not good, oh, I, I and you were just were not good outside of Dougie Waite, uh, Jason Arnott, and then the rest of them were kind of just the lunch pail gang who would skate fast, hit hard, and just sort of yeah. on, rely on Cujo to keep it. Yeah. But I just mean, like, minus 19 when you have 104 points, is it, it's not good. That, that's really not good. It's really not good. Like, that's... Yeah, anyway. Um, so, uh, his era-wise, he's... He's uh, because he's scored so few goals. He really doesn't rank well because um, there's so there's 83 players who play at least a thousand games between '91 and 2011. He is you know nowhere near the top in goals and stuff, but he's fifth in assists and fourth in assists per game, which puts him in the top 15 in points. Um, but because because of the way uh, Hockey Reference does value, he's way down in in point shares. He's 35th in point shares. Um, 
as as we've talked about many times, he played in the dead puck era. So his his eighty two game average is sixty eight points in eighty two games. If we adjust for era, it's it bumps him up five to seventy three. Yeah, but he's a minus four for an average season. Um, but still, uh, you know, he he is so he's he's not a point per game, but he's a slight. He's basically you know one tenth ish. Yeah, well, he's like point nine or something. I, I actually, it's in front of me. I should, I should just look and tell you what it is. So it's unadjusted. It's point eight three. So it's it's closer to point nine when you adjust for error. Yeah, you know, you know what? I feel like, I feel like the adjusted doesn't benefit him, but I also feel like the two eras where it was very high scoring, let's say from ninety one to ninety five. Yeah, and then from two thousand six onwards those were the two eras where he really wasn't in his prime anymore. Absolutely. And so like those like adjusted numbers don't help him at all. But if you just purely took like whatever he was able to accomplish, let's say between 96 and 2004 and you adjusted just those numbers, I bet you it would be much, much higher because that's when he was at in his prime and that's when he was producing. I would, I would argue that's when he was producing most of his great seasons. Um, well, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, because well, like competition at that point, I bet you the adjusted would help him a lot more just for that era. In in the early days, you know, in the early days of his career, he was really young, like all players in the early days of their career. But he was like, he was on the Rangers, and he wasn't really, you know, he was a prospect. He didn't get a. Lot, I don't have his ice time, but he didn't play in a full season in his first season in the league. And you know, then I assume he was not playing. Um, you know, he's. In 1993, he has a 0.62 points per game. Yeah, you got to assume he was not playing top line and top six minutes there, Definitely because not. like, you know, this is a guy who at one point scored at 1.27 uh, points per game in the height of the dead puck era. So presumably he's not getting enough ice time. Yeah, then he exactly. goes to Edmonton, and immediately his his points per game shoot up. Of right, course. the moment he goes to Edmonton because he's the first, he's their they're the number one center all of a sudden. And he's he hovers between, you know, 0.8 and and 1.1 or 1.2 rather for like the next decade. Yeah. And then of course the lockout happens and uh you know by then he's already he's been moved to St. Louis and then he, he gets traded to Carolina where he wins his cup. But like in Carolina where he 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 wasn't he was hurt when when they won the cup. Um he, uh, which is you know, was terrible that he they won against Edmonton, but that's another story. Um, but uh, like he was like not, um, he was already not the same. I mean, he was in his mid thirties. Oh yeah. And you can see if you just look at points per game, he's already he's already starting to drop. And then by the end, um, post lockout, you know, he's he's putting up like point three points per game for Anaheim, and or sorry, yeah, point three, and he has one decent year for new york uh but he's hurt and then like after that it, he really drops down like his last you know his last few seasons are not great and those are the years of course when offenses increase so you're absolutely right i think if i had done the, the math and like just eliminated his hit the tail end and the tail the beginning of a career and just did those that adjustment it would probably bump up his 82 game average i i would think so and that's kind of like what i'm I think what I'm getting at is that when when scoring was down, he was scoring compared to everybody else very well. Yeah. But 
scoring came back up, his scoring was actually dropping. So it hurts him way more than most people. Yeah, you know, and that's something I hadn't thought about, but you're absolutely right. Like his his three year peak is eighty seven points per season from ninety five to ninety eight, when like that was really good in, in oh. ninety seven, right? Like scoring eighty ninety points in a season in uh in ninety seven was really, really good. Absolutely, yeah. And then I you know, I, I remember even later in his career when he was sort of transitioning into the I'm in late twenties, early 30s i'm like a crafty veteran and he was the number one center in st louis and like i remember vancouver beat them one year because st louis all got the flu and todd bertuzzi decided to show up and take over the last three games of the series but before that doug weight was just terrorizing us every time we got the puck i'm like oh my god we don't know how to stop this guy yeah. and he would sneaky little passes and to, to the point where i would see him about to do it and be like guys he's done this to you before <laughs> You know he's flipping that puck right back where he just was, and the guy's going to one-time it into the open side. Kluze's already on the other side of the net. And that's yeah. happened, and Demetra would score, and I'd just be like, oh, my God, would you please figure that play out? Um, yeah. Nuts. But I could see him doing it, and I'm like, that guy is so good, so smart. Like, And it's yeah. interesting that we're doing the two Dugs together because yeah. we started to do that kind of stuff and make those sneaky passes from behind the net. He reminded me a lot of Doug Romo, and I was just – if you let him get open behind the net, there's just nothing you can do. He's going to find a way to get the puck out in front and they're going to score a goal. Like just, he was deadly in that series. And then the whole team got sick and Bertuzzi showed up and took over and we ended up winning. And, <laughs> and it pissed our friend Mike off a lot because he really hates the Canucks. Yeah. He kept telling me how Dougie Waite was going to take over the third period of game seven. And then he forgot that Trevor Linden's a thing and Trevor Linden scored because it's game seven. And <laughs> was this in, was this in 03? Yeah. He had 13 points in that series. I know. he basically <laughs> Jesus. Drove me nuts. Here's the crazy thing. That was ice time related because the year before he had two points in 10 games in the playoffs. But presumably, he was based on his ice time, he was playing on the second or third line with not Demetra and not Kachuk. And then someone was like, hey, you should probably – that might have been – the 0-2 year might have been the year that Turgeon was – was that the year Turgeon was there? Might have been, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. Wait was like hurt part of the year or something. Maybe that's why. But his ice time was like super down in the playoffs. I don't know. Um, I don't know why they, you know. Um, oh, Dimitri might have been playing center the year before. Oh, that's possible. Because yeah. he's listed as one. Anyway, that's crazy that he had 13 points in that series. I didn't. I I remembered the series. Yeah. Like, but like I don't remember like him being that dominant. But okay. yeah, absolutely. Every game we beat them, I'm like, oh my god, we're so lucky that he didn't beat us by himself. Because like, and every game he didn't, it's because like he fed it out in front and somebody hit the post instead of scoring. Like he was, we just literally could not stop that one guy. He was dismantling us. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, made made, His... made realize what a great hockey player he was even more than before. But also drove crazy. Like, I could see it coming, and there was nothing anybody on my team could do to try to stop him. <laughs> so. His playoff ice time is all over the place, and I wonder if that's just because, like, yeah, like I he was I loved him, you know, I absolutely loved him uh, in the late nineties on Edmonton, but um, and early two thousands, I guess. But like, it's it seems that like some guys just 
coaches just didn't trust him because like there's years where he like he's playing 14 minutes a game and then other years where he's playing 23. I I bet that would have a lot to do with whether the team was leading or trailing in yeah series yeah how close the games were because for sure you're behind by one or two goals you you want him out there but if you're yeah. by a goal in the third period he's not going out like, yeah get him off the ice yeah yeah absolutely. With 30, like, take an offensive zone draw, but that's it, you know, otherwise you're on the bench kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Lose that draw, you skate right back to the bench. We do not. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think he was that much of a liability, but, like. Well, he was. I mean, he was lazy, right? Like, he would, like, hover. Yeah. And, and, and uh, the funny thing, though, is he got Selkie votes later in his career. I think just because he was old. Maybe. Yeah. Like, not a lot of Selkie votes. I'm not trying to say he got a lot of Selkie votes. He looks to have gotten Homer Selkie votes. Like whatever team he was on, there was someone, some like some writer in that city was like, "I'm going to vote for Doug Way for the Selkie." Three years in a row, he finished 58th in Selkie voting. Probably one of those things. Like he has more points than this guy. I'm giving him my vote. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's just really, it's just really funny because my memory of him. In fact, like when I, I remember once I told someone Doug Way was one of my favorite players, and they're like, "That guy is so lazy." And that was when it sort of clicked, and I started watching him more and like his own end. And I was like, "You're right; he's kind of lazy." Um, his Corsi, which is only for the tail end of his career, does uh, bear that out a bit. He is a uh, below average possession player at the end of his career. Uh, forty-seven percent Corsi four, forty-seven percent Fenwick, and and less than his team too so like minus two um that being said not every year uh his uh his last year in st louis he was actually slightly uh positive and his only year in anaheim he was slightly positive though he was below the team on anaheim so it would be interesting that's unbelievable sorry i don't even remember him playing for anaheim well you like it was a couple years after it was a year after they won and uh, I think he was playing like death, death role. If I'll look up his ice time, um, let me find his. Living in Japan, and I did not pay. Yeah, he was playing. He was playing uh, thirteen minutes a game, and he was a. Uh, he was like, we'll we'll talk about the trade in a minute. But he was. It was a mid season. Like Anaheim was trying to, you know, add more veterans to win a second one. Anyway, um, I would like to. I would have loved to see his possession numbers from when I really watched him play a lot because I'd be interested to know whether it was like with me who at the time was a naive young, like I hadn't watched hockey in years, just getting back into hockey man who didn't notice his, his laziness or whether my friend was right. Who was just like, Jesus, he's so like, <laughs> would it kill him to back check? Um, Cause like the end of his career, of course he's really bad, but like, when he was like 37, it's not so bad. It's actually average. Anyway, yeah. um, his playoff numbers are uh, are fine. He's a little, he's like you would expect for someone like him. He's below a point per game because of the era he played in. 72 points in 97 games. However, minus 13, which is not great. But that in part comes from being on a shitty team. Um, he was always playing a better team <laughs> for years and years and years, right? Like he's minus in in many of the Edmonton playoff series. Yeah, well, I think they all ended up being eventually just as exactly because they they lost the series, right? Like, and the thing is, when Dallas would win a game too, like 
if, if I recall correctly, and I, I may be wrong about this, but typically uh, Dallas would win their home games. Edmonton would win their home games just because yeah. the crowd was, and it's, uh, it's really interesting that, that I listened to an interview on the way home uh, from, uh, from my tutoring yesterday that the, what Madonna remembered was like those playoff series were crazy. And that Edmonton building was like one of the loudest, if not the loudest building I've ever been in. Yeah. Proud so and the way they would just come flying out of the gate in the first 10 minutes, they would hit anything that moved. And like, if you watch the NHL nowadays, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. Cause eventually you would get a penalty for hitting a guy like in a vulnerable position. But that didn't yeah. exist. It was like, yeah. he didn't have his head up and you decapitated him. It was his fault. So like yeah. the first minutes was literally, Dallas being scared to, you know, put their heads down to actually make a play with the puck. So they would just get to the red line, dump it in, get to the red line, yeah. dump, it, just weather the storm. And Edmonton would get to that red line, dump it in, but go chase, try to destroy whoever went back to go get the puck. Yeah. And it was, that was the first 10 minutes of every game. And so Dallas's thing was like, if we don't score early, we have to just weather the storm. Don't let them score more than one goal. And then we'll come back and win. But like, if I remember correctly, it was like, Edmonton would hold serve, Dallas would hold serve, and you would end up with this like phenomenal, you know, series where in the games that Dallas won at home, they probably won by a few goals. Therefore, all the Oilers' uh, stats would be down. And if the Oilers won at home, there was no way they were winning by more than a goal, right? Usually in overtime. Um, or Cujo would stand on his head. There was that one series, I think it was all overtimes, wasn't it? I feel like there was one. Or it was just so- whoever won, won in overtime every every game, I feel like. And, and since Dallas won any game that was more than a one-goal victory, typically, um, and Dallas ended up winning most of the series, I can't imagine that you would be a plus player if you were on the ice a lot because the power plays in the playoffs back then were almost non-existent. Like, if you yeah. pick a guy, there's no way you were getting called for anything back then. So, so there was one se- series was uh, 97. There were they, there was a game seven-game uh, seven series where uh, Edmonton won. There were three overtime games, one of which went double. Wow. Um, sorry, you sent me down the rabbit hole. While we're on the subject of, of noisy stadiums, I, I listened to a – if anybody who is listening to this also likes basketball like I do, <laughs> um, I uh, I listened to a um, basketball podcast that is really worth your time called The Low Post. And they had a guest on the other day who was talking about the Magic Raptors series. And he's standing, he's like down, he's, he's down near the bench cause he's media. Yeah. And he's like, so like the, the host asked him like, how loud was it in Orlando? And he was like, well, I'm standing down there and I can't believe how noisy it is. And I look up and the entire crowd is just on their phones and no one's cheering. He's no. like, they're piping it in. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah. Oh man. They, they banned that in the NFL cause the Colts used to do that in their old, uh, in their old stadium to sit, like stimulate the crowd noise and sort of like make it louder than it should be for the visiting team. Yeah. The NFL. So this is, so this is the, uh, this is the Edmonton series that I, I really remember. Uh, Dallas wins two, one, three, two, three, two, and three, two in triple overtime. Man. That's the, that's the series I think that maybe brought me back into hockey or one of them. One of no, that's a little late. I was getting back into it a year or two before, but like I remember that one. I didn't remember the triple overtime, but I remember like every game being one goal and just being like, Jesus, they're so close and they just can't. It's just the, the Oilers were 
you knew Dallas was a much better team and that if they kept playing forever, Dallas was going to win the lion's share of the games. Yeah. First of four to seven games where Edmonton would just empty the tank, they could yeah. have them. And if Dallas made any big mistakes, Edmonton was going to pounce on them because they were just maximum effort. Every player got in. And the thing is too, they, they had that first series where they beat them. And so every year they believed we can beat these guys. Yeah. I mean, I think they met three years in a row in the playoffs in round one. Oh, uh, more than that. I, I think I'm at four or five at this point. I'm just scrolling through them. But I remember every time they would meet and everybody would be like, oh my God, if Edmonton gets in, they're going to play Dallas. And everybody would get really excited. Like, here we go again. Like, so here's here's the other series that I was remembering. 2001, Dallas wins in 4-2. Four overtimes in six games. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. That was that. Yeah, these are some of the series where I was like, I had like lost interest in hockey, and then I was like, so they finally didn't play. Oh wait, no, that's I. I did something stupid with it. Um. So yeah, like, I mean, I, I'm a Leafs fan, but like, when I was, I got back into hockey was partly through watching yeah. these insane series between the two of them, where you're like, you're like, so it was finally 2002. They Edmonton missed the playoffs, which is what ended it. So between 97 and 01, so five seasons, one, two, three, four, five, yeah. Uh, they uh, they played, I think, every year. And that's incredible. Yeah. Now, one of those was in the second round, at least. Okay. But the rest of them were the first round. Yeah. And so, Edmonton won, like, one or two of them total, and the rest of them were Dallas. And yeah. I, I think what made those series so watchable, because if you just look at both those teams on paper, you're like, Edmonton has no chance. Yeah, but I think the style of play made it so that Edmonton was taking it to Dallas in a way that most teams didn't. Most teams said, okay, we're going to hang back and play a one nothing game and try to beat them at their own. Edmonton's like, no, we're going to dump it in and go hit the crap out of them and then pin them in their own end. And that's how we're going to yeah. beat them. And, you know, so, there's a lot of teams who and maybe they didn't have the – coaching to want to do that or they didn't have the team speed to want to do that but like yeah big and like it was so hard to get the puck in their end and edmonton was just like we're going to hit you so hard that eventually it's going to create a turnover we're going to hem you in your own end we're going to make you play defense instead of you guys transitioning up the ice and getting chances while not letting us even get it get the puck you know kind of thing which was sort yeah. of demo. like you dump it in we're going to hold you up at the blue line which is totally allowed Darian Hatcher will probably cross-check somebody really hard, which he wasn't. Yeah. Loud for him. Um, and then we're, you're not going to get the puck. We'll send uh, Zubov or somebody else fast go back to go get the puck. And we're going to move it out again. And we're just going to dominate you all game. That's why they were so damn good. Plus they had uh, Belfour in nets. So yeah. I mean, they were a dominant team. Like they were so hard to play against and big and fast. And yeah. all came back. So like, even if you did get around Hatcher's cross-check, and beat that guy to the puck in the corner, like there's every all the forwards are already back in position properly. So it was just really difficult. But if you played in their end long enough, you were bound to break them down. And Edmonton just brought it to them in that way and it made it it was like a like a different philosophy of how they're gonna break them. And it didn't it only worked once, but yeah. it really frustrated them and made them work for those series wins big time. And they were just they were just great series. It was great hockey and it was like I just I remember sort of finding like oh yeah this is why I like this and it was lower stakes for me right like I was rooting for Edmonton but like I it was the for me the anxiety of watching the Leafs was gone 
during it. Like I, I wanted the Oilers to win, but like if they didn't win, it wasn't the end of the world. Whereas when the Leafs lost, it was like, you know, well, yeah, because in, in, I think the, the years that you watched the Leafs as well, like the Gilmore year, the, um, the Sundin years too, like you were expecting them to at least make a serious run, maybe get well, into the final. The oh, one of the first years I got back into hockey was the was one of the two years the Sundin teams made the uh, conference finals. Yes. So there was expectations. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. That was the year he was he was that was the year he was healthy. Unlike in two thousand two when he he will he wasn't. But. Um. So we got a bunch of trades to talk about. Yay trades. Yeah. So uh, four of them. Yeah. Um. Because Wade was traded a bunch of times despite mostly. Most of us remembering him playing on Edmonton and St. Louis. Um, so first, he was traded uh, for Esatikinen um, at the trade deadline when he Doug Waite was very young and Tikkanen was significantly older. And this was part of the Rangers just trying to get all of the old Oilers, you know, on their team to win the cup the next year. This is me. Tikkanen drove us crazy. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it, I mean, in many ways, it worked, right? Like, say there was, say there was the GM, wasn't he? Yeah. And so, or a coach, or both, or just the, I don't. Know. No, he wasn't the coach. That was Keenan. Uh, no, no, the coach was Keenan, and the it was some like New York high. Like I can see his face, but I can't remember his name in my head. But he was right. uh, Neil Smith. Neil Smith. Oh yeah, and his his. His job was basically to acquire the old Edmonton Oilers, except for Gretzky. At some point, at the request of Mark Messier, like basically saying, "Like I can win with these guys." And also back then, a thing that a lot of modern hockey fans, if you've only been watching for the last decade, because um, now like the young stars drive the game. Yeah, and they get calls that like McDavid already gets tons of calls that like. In the old days, you had to be in the league 10 years before you started getting that respect and those calls from the refs. So yeah. having a veteran-laden team back then was a huge advantage. Like, Essa Tikkanen could go and cross-check Pavel Burry to the ice five times in a row. Ah, Burry's, like, in his second year. He's not getting that call. Yeah. But he does that to Mark Messi. You bet, you'd be damn sure he's getting that call because Mark's earned it. Like, there was a really different dynamic than is currently in place nowadays. And I think hockey had had that for a long time. So it's actually only, like, the last decade where – being who you are doesn't always get you the call with the way it used to. It used to always be that way. Like certain players just didn't get called for stuff. Like you just wouldn't. Yeah. I, I look at the, look at the Gretzky high stick on Gilmore. Even yeah, if you go back that far and enrage every Leafs fan, the entire universe. Um, you know, if if that's anybody but Gretzky, does it get called? Like I mean, the referees claim they didn't see it. Eh, maybe they did see. They said, "I'm not calling Gretz on that." There's no way. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there, there yeah. were and um certain privileges for veterans back then that don't i don't i really don't think that exists in the game today if you're a star you might get a little bit more but not as much as there used to be and certainly not to like any veteran basically who won a cup yeah like oh that guy's won a cup before i'm not going to call him on that in a game seven there's no way and it's like nowadays it's you know it's it's a little better let's put it that yeah any other problems with the officiating as seen in the recent game seven between Vegas and San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. But many problems still, at least that sort of like veteran privilege of, Oh yeah. yes, up your, 
you've been to the dance before, you're a grizzled veteran, I'll give you any benefit of the doubt over this young guy, at least that's out of the game. So yeah. that's kind of nice. Or at least it's significant as it used this is This is hard for me because, like, Tikkanen, it clearly, like, Edmonton wins on the, the who got the better player. But, of course, Tikkanen went and, and um, you know, won a Stanley Cup. Yeah, he was an so, part of that. Yeah. So, like, I don't know who wins this trade because, like, Waite was obviously, like, the number one center on Edmonton for years after the trade. But, like, Tikkanen, like you said, was, like, a major part of the, the Rangers winning the Cup. So, I don't know. Is that, like, a toss-up or does the Rangers win by default or I don't know? I, I think uh, Tikkanen's role on that team was very underrated. And the other players, I think, from the Rangers – I think some of them are on record as saying how important he was because he he was such a specialist at that point and murder yeah. like to the point where like he was the guy they put to shadow other players like they had him on Beret just said you stick yeah. every chance you get and slash him and drive him crazy and it's like he's get he's Asatikin and he's won you know multiple cups he's gonna get away with it and yeah. so uh, he did things that let's say Doug Waite could not do in that sphere in that yeah. and. Uh, Fair yeah, so I, I think because you look at Doug Waite's points and you're like, man, why would they give away a guy like that? He was a star player, like he's a future number one center. Like, yeah, but without Esatikin, maybe they don't win it. Like he was really important, very underrated. Yeah. So the next trait we have is years later, um, in another century actually, uh, when Waite was 30 and had been on, on the uh, Oilers for eight years, basically. Um, and, uh, he was traded, uh, almost eight. Yeah. Actually, slightly more than eight years actually. Um, and he was traded to St. Louis on trade on free agency day. So I don't know if his contract was maybe up and he was like, or it was going to be up and they were like, maybe we should, I don't know why specifically the first or someone was, maybe someone was trying to clear cap space. Maybe that, uh, was the, the cap exist in 2001. No, I don't know what's going on here. July 1st, it's a weird day to have a trade if contracts are not expiring somewhere. It could, ju- it could just be they got to that point where they're like, well, we're rebuilding this team. Yeah. And uh, so-and-so, they also want Doug Waite. We should trade him too kind of thing. I'm not sure. Yeah. So anyway, they traded Waite for three players because Waite was only 30 and, you know, had been the, 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 the star player of Edmonton with apologies to Ryan Smith for, you know, the however many years, um, eight years, what did I say? Eight years? Yeah, eight years. So he traded for Marty Reasoner, uh, Jochen Hecht, and um, someone named Jan Horacek. So, ouch. Yeah, that's a bad because <laughs> Because as much as I liked Marty Reasoner because I was an Oilers fan, and Jochen Hecht later went on to a fair amount of uh, success as, well, not team success, but personal success on the Sabres, um, wait wasn't done yet, and uh, yeah, I, I, it doesn't I look so good. For like when they traded him, it was I think it was uh, a financial issue for Edmonton, possibly. Probably, but yeah. Afford to keep him and Jason Arnott and. Uh, well, Arnott was gone by then. Was he already? Okay. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, but I feel like uh, I feel like Arnott was was gone prior to Doug Wait. Um, well, yeah. He scored. Yeah, he beat Dallas. So if Dallas, Arnett Arnett left in '98. 
Oh man, I, wow, it's way before that. Geez, I, I don't yeah. remember leaving that early. I thought weight had left first. Well, no. the old, old age is getting to me. Well, it's 20 yeah, years ago. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like Arnett, Arnett went to the, was traded the Devils, yeah. where he, you know, had an important role in at least one of their cups. Yeah, he's and, and then eventually went to Dallas, funnily enough. Man. Um, but Ryan Smith was still like, after Doug Waite, Ryan Smith was, well, obviously he was the heart and soul of the team, but like Doug Waite was, with, again, apologies, Ryan Smith put up more points um, because of all the assists. And uh, anyway. So yeah, so like they got back like Marty Reasoner, who was a fine like third liner, right? Third, fourth, it's fine. And uh, Jochen Hecht, who later was good. I don't know how, how I don't remember Hecht on Edmonton whether he was okay or not. But again, like a like these are these are like middle six players, right? Exactly. Yeah. You traded. Oh, the reason I don't remember Hecht on Edmonton is he only played one season. And then, and then they, he either was a was he, yeah. Then they traded him to Buffalo for a whole bag of nothing. <laughs> Though one of the picks turned into Jared Stoll, but who was important in two thousand six. But uh, um, so I guess that's okay. Um, but yeah, like you you trade you trade your number one center for two middle six or even bottom six players and a guy who doesn't have a hockey reference page. That's not good. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. So, a while later, post lockout, St. Louis traded Doug Waite near closer to the trade deadline to Carolina because Carolina was stocking up for a cup run and it worked out for them. Um, so they traded uh, him with someone named Erky Rajamaki. I guess Ra- Rahamaki is is a J a huh or a J ja in in Finnish? Jug. I don't know. Anyway, four tons of stuff, uh, all of which was Midland. Um, so uh, <laughs> this is this is funny. Uh, Jesse Bulleris. Oh yeah, I remember Jesse Bulleris. Yeah. Mike Zigomanis. Yeah, Don Cherry's favorite. Magnus Conberg, a first rounder who became Matthew Correnti, and two fourth rounders who became Cade Fairchild and Rito Berra. Oh, I remember Rito Berra though. He was uh, he was a goalie in the league for a little while. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like St. Louis got back like not much, but on the other hand, Doug Waite was old and. Uh, I mean, he contributed to the cover, and he did. He, I remember him. Was he the one who was hurt? He played a lot of games that I remember him being injured, but he played a lot of games. I think he was just hurt for the final. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and he had reasonable. He played like second or third line minutes, and he still put up a lot of points. Um, I, I think for that trade. What you have to remember too is that like St. Louis was awful then. That's the year that they drafted first overall, I believe. Yeah. Was. Yeah. They were just they fell off a cliff. All their all their guys got too old. So I think that's more a case of we're gonna move them no matter what. So who's gonna give us the best deal? And almost like a Doug, do you wanna go and try to win a cup? We're gonna send you off. Like and so the team Well, because it was a wink wink because he re signed that summer. Yeah, exactly. But still yeah. 
it's ba- like, you know, we're going to take care of you. We'll ship you off. We'll, where do you want to go kind of thing? And then come on, Carolina, you got to give us something. <laughs> yeah. You got You got to think that at least some of this was tacit. Like, yeah, we're trading him and he's coming back because like the package they got back was not amazing. Um, so we have one more trade, the one you don't remember because you were in Japan, which is, uh, he was trade. So he was on St. Louis again. He re-signed after the cup with St. Louis and he was, what age was he? He was old at this point. He was already old, but he's almost 37 years old. He's traded with someone named Mikael Berner and a seventh round pick, which never turned into anything for Andy McDonald. And this is right when Andy McDonald was like good. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he he was quite good for Anaheim and then he had at least one year where he was decent for St. Louis. Yeah, he was pretty good for St. Louis, I think, for one or two years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh yeah, he just he uh, he was okay. Yeah. He just he was less and less healthy. And then he, he was he was also um he was he peaked really late, Andy McDonald. Like he didn't he he must have been undrafted because he uh he didn't play in his early twenties. Yeah. And um he like his best years on Anaheim were like he was in his like early thirties, and I thought he was younger because he was um he was twenty nine. Uh when uh I, that doesn't even seem right. I just looked at his number. Anyway, um so I don't know how you feel about that trade, but I mean, Doug Waite was, like, too old at that point. So the fact that they gave up, you know, that, that St. Louis got Andy McDonald and was giving up Doug Waite in some parts, I mean, that kind of feels like that's the right decision for St. Louis to me. Yeah, I think they saw the writing on the wall that their team was no longer very good and it was time to move on from any sort of veterans and build around their youth. And Andy McDonald, I do remember being quite useful. I, I would say they won that trade just because – and Doug Wade didn't have a lot of tread left on the tires. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I think they did too. Because Andy McDonald played another like five years for St. Louis. Yeah. And Doug Wade was also, I believe, nearing free agency and then would sign with the Islanders where he would not be very good yeah. after that. Well, to be fair, neither were the Islanders. <laughs> yeah. 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 They were just stocking up on like old guys. So uh, he's won one major award, which is the King Clancy in 2011 which is not really that major award because it's not about actual playing. Um, you know, he was not a big goal scorer. He's only scored 25 goals three times, but he had 70 assists once, which was a lot in the puck era. Um, and he had 40 assists, 10 years. It's pretty good. Scored hundred points once, which was a rare thing to do back then in the puck era. Um, he doesn't have a lot of uh, playoff success. I mean, he's got, he won the cup where he was a essentially a top nine forward because that was a really deep team. Yeah. Um, though he put up a lot of points, he was still uh, he wasn't playing a ton. I think I, my guess is power play. Uh, he got some of those points on the power play. Um, w- internationally, he uh, he was a top six forward on the the U.S. Olympic team that almost won gold in two thousand two. Uh, if it weren't for us, and he won a world championship in 1996, but that's it. Oh, sorry. I said world champion, world cup, won the world cup. 
So slightly more prestigious than the world championship. So despite really enjoying the Oilers in the late nineties, early two thousands, I'm going to have to say no. What do you think? Um, I feel like if we consider the very prime of his career compared to the competition and, and you, you take away the fact that he, he decided to hang on for so long at the end when he was no longer the player, like had he retired right for that cup, I think he has a way stronger case. Yeah, probably. Talk somebody into it. I think, I think it's a no because he, he fell off and, and, continued to fall off for the last five years of his career there. But I, I think if you it certainly dragged down his numbers, his last few seasons definitely dragged down his numbers, okay. his per game numbers. And I think even his early career as well, he wasn't given the chance till he got to Edmonton and then he blossomed into this like, wow, look, look at this guy. And then I think also, I think what makes me lean towards considering it is he did it. He did that kind of offensive production through most of the dead puck era for a good, yeah. uh, let's let's say for argument's sake, it lasts eight years from like 96 to 2004. I would say he did the lion's share of his scoring when it was the most difficult to score. Um, yeah, that uh, that's true for sure. That is absolutely true. To, to me, that like brief period, as brief as it was, would, would make me entertain him being in. I think I'm leaning towards no, but I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm more on the fence than you are. I think... I think he was a unique, uh, unique passing talent somewhere in the vein of, uh, I don't, maybe between an Adam Oates and a Craig Janney, who we've discussed previously as great passers, who, you know, just didn't put up. I, I think Doug Waite put up more goals than either either of them did, but. Well, uh, more than Janney, I think, but I don't know about I don't know about Oates. Oates had a couple of years where he did score a fair number. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I. I would put him sort of in between those two. And I think both of us were kind of like, Jenny, uh, you can try. Jenny was like more of an elite passer, but part of that comes from when he played, right? Like yeah. Jenny was older. And yeah. so his numbers are in part skewed by yes. that era. Whereas by the time Waite was putting up his numbers, Jan- Jenny was old yeah. and hurt all the time. Yeah. But I, I, I think if you, if Doug Waite hits his prime, you know, if he's he's like four or five years older, so his prime hits in those early '90s era, he might have put up like crazy numbers. Yeah, he could have had 90 assists. It's quite possible, for sure. I'm, We're close I'm, to it. In the discussion, at least. So I, I, I'm yeah. still. On- well, fair enough. I mean, I was on the fence for years, but yeah. I feel like that was because of fandom. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, uh, so someone who has a, a little bit longer resume. To- put it mildly, um, is Doug Gilmore, uh, <laughs> who also played for 20, well, played for one more year, 20 years. But unlike Wait, so we said, Wait played for 19, he had 15 quality seasons. Gilmore managed to have 19 quality in 20, so that when we say quality, we mean 0.5 points per game or more. Um, he is 14th all-time in assists. He is 19th all-time in points. He is 12th all-time in games played. Or was at his retirement. Sorry, he's no longer. Uh, at his retirement, he was 11th all-time in assists and 13th all-time in points. So, uh, you know, that's good. Yeah, it's that's a good. lot of points. Um, his draft. He's famously drafted 134th overall 
So one of these early um, guys who, you know, like there's been more and more of them, but I, I Gilmore's got to be one of the earliest to be drafted that low and have that successful career, right? I, would say, I, I think in his case, height. Yeah. But I think I think when he was drafted, they said he was like five foot nine, maybe like 150 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Not a big guy, so. And then he had like his his playoff, his, his junior success, like I believe was post-draft, right? Like, because yeah. he won the Memorial Cup, but he won it after he was, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. No, no, won it before he draft. He was drafted. Who knows what the hell they were thinking? Maybe he was small. Like, you know, recently, uh, John Crow taken in the third round, and everybody knew he was. He had yeah. talent. You know, that size thing really holds a lot of people back. Yeah, yeah, no, it it really is, and it's 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 getting more. It's always been slightly irrational, but like it's getting more and more irrational because like. People, gigantic people can't just kill you now, and and also, slow gigantic people are no longer playing. So it begs the question: Why people are still doing this? Anyway, I would um, just to bring up a point about that. A lot of teams, you know, Alex DeBrinket made it to the second round, went to Chicago at I think 39th pick. Yeah, he scored 50 goals two years in a row in the OHL, both with McDavid and without McDavid. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, nah, he's not a good. Like, dude, all the guy does is score goals. Like, why are you not gonna try to yeah. take him? It's still very much, even though people are getting more and more into like trying to understand, you know, things more than just like the what whatever the eye tells you. It's still hockey. I mean, all sports. It's still like a crapshoot. You're still guessing. It's still an educated guess, but it's a guess. And moreover, in hockey, it feels like it's still, there's still a lot of like old time biases getting in the way of like rational decision making. Because like height should just stop being consideration unless the guy's like 4'8, you know? Like, why do you still care about that? Like, it's just, it, anyway, rant, but it's just, it's weird. So they were wrong about Doug Gilmore. Shockingly, he is, uh, um, he is, uh, what is he? Fourth in goals and, uh, point shares for his draft. He's first in assists and points despite being 134th overall. And, uh, he is, uh, third and plus minus in the draft. So depending on your, um, perspective, he is the best player in the draft. And I would say that I feel that way, at least forward wise, he is the best player in, in the 82 draft. Um, like the only other forwards who are notable in the draft are Andrew Chuck, who is 16th overall, Pat Verbeek, who is 33rd overall, Brian Bellows, who was second Ray Ferraro, we're already getting into guys who don't compare at all career-wise. 88th, Thomas Sandstrom, 36th, Kevin Deneen, 56th, Murray Craven, 17th. You know, I know there's there's no comparison as far as I'm concerned. Um, defenseman is a little sketchier. Uh, Phil Housley, who we've talked about already, um, is was drafted 6th overall. And then Scott Stevens... Uh, was drafted fifth overall. And so I think there are 
um, some players, some people rather, sorry, who would argue that Scott Stevens might be the best player in this draft. I'm not one of those people, but um, I would say that there's probably a bunch of people who are, who might uh, suggest that. And then goalies, we have Ron Hextall, basically, is the only, uh, Ken Reggett, but Ron Hextall being the, like, the really famous goalie from this draft. Um, there's nobody else, really. So for his era, um, there are only 18 players who played in 1,250 games between 83 and 2003, so I guess it was a hard time to play that long. I don't know why. Um, so he's he's basically he's a top 10 player, well, top five player in terms of points, top 10 player in other numbers, like in terms of per game stuff, um, 11th in point shares. So like, you know, top 10 player for his era, basically, in terms of offense. There was, there was about a year period there from, I want to say about 91 or 92 to about 96, where I would say a good number of people considered him to be just below Gretzky in terms of like, this is the best guy in the NHL, or let's say Gretzky and Lemieux, when what, that Lemieux, you know, left the game, had back problems, then had cancer. I mean, he had a lot of things going on, but I think a lot of people basically considered to maybe not be in that conversation, but be at the top of the conversation of the tier below those like yeah. players. Like this guy is elite, elite. He's yeah. very, um, just, you know, one of those guys, like he's going to get you a point a game. He's can play in all situations. Uh, he'll drive the other team crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Is like, he might not have been, Offensively, he was only a top 10 player in his era, but of the guys ahead of him, no one else was as annoying. Um, and arguably, you know, that was a huge part of defense back then was being annoying and difficult and, and violent. And he was good at that. Well, I mean, his nickname was Killer because of the violence with which he played the game at his small stature. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, apparently, his teammates back in St. Louis at the beginning of his career also called him that because they... Uh, he used to go out there and really like give it to people sort of thing. And they're like, man, you're like Charles Manson. And apparently one of the guys said, you kind of look like him too. And then they're like, oh, that's, so they called him Charlie for a while. And then that evolved into the nickname killer. Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. Dark, but you know, kind of like an interesting way to get a nickname, I guess. Um, yeah. But his, his defensive game was, uh, it was fa- fantastic, and then he also could bury you offensively. So, like, w- hell of a guy to play against, you know? Like, yeah. he simultaneously control your best player, and then he'll beat that player for all kinds of points. And it just got to be the most frustrating thing in the world to deal with. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so that's a part that doesn't get covered in just saying he was one of the top ten offensive players of his era because he was like he had sandpaper, as they used to say. Um, so uh, his 82 game average was 79 points in 82 games, so almost a point per game, and a lot of that was brought down by the tail end of his career when he was obviously when he was 39 and 38, he was not putting up you know a point per game. He was putting up substantially less than that, uh, 0.5. 
though he managed in at age 36 he managed to put up a point per game which is you know something um his uh he 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 didn't uh he retired prior to the tracking of possession stats his playoff numbers are the real thing we get into kind of crazy uh thing about Doug Gilmore and some of this is just how long he played but the fact is he was not on the Oilers he was not on the Islanders um, and he was not on the Canadians and he was only briefly on the flames. However, he is uh 25th all he, at his retirement. He was 25th all time in playoff goals. Uh, he is fifth all time in assists at his retirement. He's now sixth and he was eight, uh, sixth all time in points and eighth all time right now. So, and everybody above him, um, I believe at least when he retired were Oilers. If I'm, if memory serves, when he retired, it was Gretzky, Messier, Curry, Anderson. I'm missing somebody. Coffee, and then Dougie Gilmore. That's incredible. Yeah. Now a few people have passed him. Lidstrom, I believe, uh, maybe Eiserman. But like, uh, the fact is, like, the fact that he didn't play on the Oilers and yet is among the very you know top ten all time in playoff points is uh, it's something. And just goes, he's one of the rare players who like, who really, um, you know, who, uh, who showed up in the, who, who elevated their game in the playoffs, right? We, we're talking about 188 points in 80, in 182 games, which is more than a point per game over his entire career. And like I said, he's slightly below a point per game regular season. And that it's worth noting that that's also with a couple of bad playoffs point wise and later his career, like in 2000, he had one point in five games in 2001. He had six points in 13 games. Like he, this is a guy who had some bad seasons playoff point wise, actually, even in his prime um, in 1990, the year after they won the cup, he had one point in six games when, uh, when the flames got knocked out the year after they won. So he is like, the fact is, when he was on, when he was on in the playoffs, he was really on, as we'll see when we get to his his great teams. Um, his, uh, as you might expect, adjusting for era uh, hurts him slight. Wait a minute, am I looking at the right thing? Uh, adjusting for era, yeah, it hurts him slightly. It bumps him down six points to seventy three, and that's of course because he played the first half of his career in the eighties. Yeah. Um. But still, 73 points in 82 games, you know, we're essentially talking about, actually, funnily enough, the same numbers for Doug White. Yeah. Um, when you just for error. So we have five trades this time, one of which is the biggest, one of the biggest trades in the history of hockey, but we, we'll wait to get to that. <laughs> um, the first one is, is an icky subject that, uh, icky isn't the right word. It's a subject that, in 19, whenever it happened, when did it happen? How old was he? Um, it happened in 1988. It was the kind of thing that we just like, oh, this is not a big deal. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing that in uh, 2019 um, we talk about and uh, it's not, we, you know, people, we like to think anyway that people stop separating personal lives from sports. Um, yes. He was accused of having sex possibly forcibly with a 14 year old girl. And that's why he was traded. 
That's why uh, they were trying to sort of quiet the situation down before the media got a hold of it. And um, I think I think uh, what ended up happening was Gilmore and his wife countersued, basically saying none of this ever happened, and then there was no evidence. And they, yeah. they indi- he, he was never indicted. Let's put it that yeah. way. So. Yeah. Um, I, I feel obligated to say that uh, at this point, as much as this guy was my absolute favorite player, that um, very rarely are rapists indicted anyway. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I have no idea what happened, but I do know that the stats strongly suggest that the vast majority of people who have um, sexually assaulted men who have sexually assaulted women have never been charged, or when they are charged, they are acquitted regardless of what happened. So I just, I feel obligated to say that. Um, It pains me, by the way, it really pains me to say that because I, he was my favorite player of all time. Um, I don't know what actually, like no, nobody except for Doug Gilmore and question would know uh, the alleged victim in question would, would know what happened, but definitely a thing that um, is like, it almost doesn't make sense why that trade would happen otherwise. Yeah. I think I think if he hadn't been traded and it had been a case that had been thrown out, maybe it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. Like if it hadn't gotten to the media, but like when the trade happened, it happened quickly. Uh, apparently, St. Louis tried not to let Calgary know that that's why they were trading him, and so like a whole bunch of stuff was going on there that just sort of. I think the I think the Blues were sort of just trying to avoid, probably just in their minds, avoid like a PR disaster. Yeah. I mean, in the late 80s, that's the way stuff like that would have been seen, I would say. Um, yeah. We live in a very different era today. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it, it must be mentioned because otherwise the trade just sort of smacks as like, really? Like, what a terrible deal. And it's like, eh, there was more stuff going on in the background. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense uh, otherwise, um, because, of course, as we'll see when we get to his playoff stats, Gilmore was basically like the replacement to Fredericko. They were playing together, but like he was going to be the, he was the set, the future of the blues. Um, and, uh, you're right. They did counter Sue. Um, I don't know what, uh, happened. I can just see that they counter sued. Um, it counter sued for libel, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I have no idea what happened. Uh, and, and like you said, nobody, nobody, but they do. Uh, the two of them, Gilmore and the unidentified uh, woman or girl at the time. Anyway, as you said, the trade uh, doesn't look so great at, from the hockey perspective because um, Gilmore was only 25 and he was traded with Mark Hunter, who was a player, like a legit player, and Steve Bozak and someone named Michael Dark. For Mike Bullard, who was older than him and also like if memory serves kind of like a good stats, bad team kind of guy, right? Put up some big numbers on Calgary when they weren't that great. Could put up really big numbers on Pittsburgh when they weren't good. Um, Craig Cox and Tim Corkery. Yes. Craig, Craig Cox is famous for that massive fight that he had with Probert. It was like the Rock'em Sock'em one fight. Okay. Like him and Probert just tee off on each other. And, uh, uh, Sean McIndo, uh, Down Goes Brown, who's yeah. right, pro- probably the best hockey article there is, um, has like a breakdown of that fight that's just like, it's like somebody counted the punches and said there were 87 thrown. I'm like, what, per second? 
<laughs> like the, all they do is throw haymaker. Every punch is trying to kill the other guy, and they just wail on each other. It's like an incredible, incredible fight, and that's why Craig Cox's name is remembered. It's that one fight. Yeah, he was uh, he was playing for Vancouver at the time with the old with the old V sweaters too. So it really yeah, got a lot of good uh, 80s stuff going on. But like, <laughs> only reason anybody knows his name is that one fight because they just went toe to toe and just about killed each other. But ho- hockey wise, this is not a good trade. No, it is not. No, because <laughs> uh, Mike Bullard, I think, was basically as an offensive force was done. I believe, um, though I don't know how you would have known that, but like still, um, yeah. I don't think he had great. Yeah, so he like, but he on the other hand, Calgary was selling high because he'd put up 103 points um, the previous year, but he was also not having a great season. Um, so that so his last his last full season with Calgary before this trade was his was his best year of his career, and he never got anywhere near uh, that ever again. Um, and presumably, you know, he was playing. I don't know. He was playing with Mullen, maybe, and Lube, um, something like that. Um, when he had those great numbers, and uh, basically they sold high on him, which you know, good for them. Um, and 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 everybody else. It just basically it was just a disaster for St. Louis. Uh, yeah. Did not work out well, and it helped give Calgary the stuff they needed to win the Stanley Cup. So sure did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Um, there are many more though. Um, a couple of years later, uh, four years later, three and a half years later, he was traded in one of the largest trades. Sorry, it might have been the largest trade in the history of the sport at the time. Uh, a famous, famous trade that basically sal- both sort of helped cut an end to Calgary's, put an end to Calgary's success from the 80s and also helped revitalize, as much as you can call it, revitalize the Maple Leafs for <laughs> their two conference finals. They, they've, and they should have won one of them too. So. Yeah. Um, so... Gilmore, who was 28, was traded with Jamie McCoon, who I feel like we forget how decent Jamie McCoon was now. Very good. Yeah, it was a yeah. solid number three defenseman. Like, yeah. Uh, so Gilmore, Jamie McCoon, Rick Natras, Kent Manderville, and Rick Wamsley. Uh, Manderville was a prospect. Natras was old, uh, was almost 30. Rick Wamsley was in his 30s. He was basically done. Four, Gary Lehman coming off a couple of years earlier, the best year he would ever have of his career. Alexander Godniak, uh, who was a prospect, Jeff Reese, who was 25, Michael Pettit, who was 27, and Craig Berube, who was 26. Like, it's just not good. Yeah. <laughs> the two best players in the draft, then the trade are one side of the trade. They you know, and the only way I think you make that is if you really strongly believe that Gary Lehman is better than Gary Lehman actually was. But Gilmore had sat out, right? Gilmore would sort of forced it, is my memory. I believe Gilmore wanted out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Gary Lehman had, you know, Gary Lehman had had, had that year where he put up 51 goals, um, one of the few, in fact, the last Maple Leaf, no, no, second last Maple Leaf to put up 50 goals. Um, But he had done that previously, a couple of years, in fact. And the year after he had put up 50 goals, he had... Uh, so get this. His points per game in 1990 
was 1.19, almost 1.2. His points per game in 1991 was 0.56. Whoa. <laughs> His points per game prior to the trade with Calgary was 0.59. This is not a guy who was on his way back to scoring 50 goals. So I don't know. I mean, I understand that Calgary's man, Calgary management's hand was forced a bit by Gilmore's trade demand. And I believe he sat out some games if memory serves, but like, if that's the best player you're getting back, like this is not, this is not a good deal. Yeah. It's, uh, our, well, our, our buddy Mike is uh, a big Calgary Flames fan and back in university we'd talk about hockey all the time and he would always go back to that like oh Gary Lehman yeah like he was just always so upset about it still yeah right so yeah so more traits (laughs) there's so many um the next one uh was uh five years later uh when he was traded at the trade deadline Gilmore was traded at the trade deadline to the New Jersey Devils um, for, oh, with Dave Ellett, who was uh, this about the same age as Gilmore. So they were both in their early 30s. Gilmore was 33. Ellett was almost 33. For a third rounder, or sorry, and a third rounder, my apologies, for Jason Smith, who was 23, Steve Sullivan, who was 22, and Alan McCauley, who was 19. So basically they were the Leafs trying to rebuild around Matt Sunday. Yeah. And this one is like, I, I have a hard time being objective about this one because like, I really liked all three of those guys like really did. Cause this is right about when I got back into hockey and like, so I didn't care about Dave Allen. Um, but also they were old and, and, and Gilmore was, was, uh, was a, he, the other thing is he was a year and a half away from being a free agent. Yeah. And so, like, it was a bit of a free agent dumping in addition to getting prospects. And and the the Devils didn't get uh, a cup while Gilmore was there. It would be later. Um, uh, the um, his, uh, his arch nemesis uh, Gretzky showed up again. Um, the Rangers beat the Devils that year in the playoffs. And oh, I didn't remember that. Went to the Eastern Final because Mike Richter sort of reincarnated himself, played amazing in '97, and then they yeah. ended up thing to uh, to the Flyers because the Flyers were the Legion of Doom Flyers. Yeah, um, and then they uh, the Flyers lost to the Red Wings. But that that series was remarkable because again, much like when the Leafs kind of. You know, if you're going to listen to Leafs fans, and honestly, I was on Toronto's side at that at, at that juncture in my life. They played in the West and uh, they were playing the LA Kings who had eliminated my Canucks, so I hated the Kings. And <clears throat> But when uh, when Doug Gilmore got high-sticked, as everybody remembers, that was Gretzky. And then years later when he's playing with the Devils, um, they had shut out the Rangers in Game 1. I just looked up the article a little while ago just to make sure I was right in my memory, and I, I am. And then uh, Gretzky was getting shut down all game because Gilmore was you know, annoying the crap out of him all game as Doug Gilmore did. Yeah. And then Messier went and uh, while the Rangers were on the power play and Doug Gilmore was annoying the crap out of Gretzky, Messier went down and the article says two different things. It says raked him in the face and cross-checked him in the face. <laughs> and he had to leave the, that's what Mark Messier did, right? A lot of people yeah. forget that. Like he was a good player, but boy, could he ever play dirty. 
And yeah. so Kenton basically cross-checked Gilmore in the face. So Gilmore was bleeding and had to leave the ice. And when he went off the ice, Gretzky got the puck, fed Leach, and Leach scored. Yeah. They won the game 2 nothing with an empty netter, but really they won the game one nothing. And yeah. Because they got they got Gretzky away from Gilmore. And it's they ended up winning the series. And it's like, again, you know, Gilmore again takes a stick in the face and loses to Gretzky. And it's got to really piss him off sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't watch that series, so I had no idea that happened. I would say, I, I would say, if he hadn't won his cup with Calgary back in '89, that probably would have still irked him to this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was There's an o- older team uh, on the whole, though. Um, mm-hmm. Like their best player by points was. Uh, was uh, John McLean, yeah. who was 32 at that point. Um, anyway, uh, this trade, like, yeah, if that hasn't happened and the Devils go further, maybe the trade looks better. Um, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's more of an interest, I think, just in terms of like lease fandom. It's not really like a, I don't know, it doesn't seem like a bad deal. No, maybe. Um, or, or, or a good one necessarily. Like, the thing is, all, all three players the least got back went on to decent careers, mm-hmm. though in the case of Steve Sullivan, not with the Maple Leafs because yeah. the Maple Leafs are idiots <laughs> and <laughs> traded him. Argue as well, had his best years away from you guys as well. Yeah, yeah, when he was on Edmonton and also, I guess, what, what is on Ottawa, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, like, and Macaulay was, you know, had a one, one year of, you know, great success for the Leafs in the playoffs and, and otherwise was, but he almost like he got nominated for the Selkie uh, when he was on the Sharks later. Oh. Um, yeah. He got traded for Owen Nolan among other people. Um, and then I believe was nominated or like I'll have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure it was, uh, was like one of the three, like the top vote getters for it one year, whether or not I deserved it. That's an, another story. Um, I always liked all three of those guys, but that's only because I came in. That's when I got back into hockey, and I was I I was so pissed off. The Steve Sullivan trade would just make me crazy for years, um, because he was like he his best years, of course, on Chicago and Nashville. You know, um, after uh, after the Leafs gave up on him once because he had like a dry yeah. So he's Macaulay uh, finished third in Selkie voting in two thousand four. Literally two years after they got, or a year and a half after the least got rid of them. Anyway, I mean, it's a you know, it's it's one of these things that I care more about because of the, like Leafs minutia than like anyone really should. It was whatever uh, prospects for uh, prospects for veterans, which is fairly typical. Um, after that, we have uh, another trade because they're just he was involved in a million of them. Um. And the next one is uh, he was 36 years old um, and he was I don't uh, hockey reference is like trade. This particular trade is totally screwed up for hockey reference. So I'm just looking up who he was on. Um, he was on, uh, was he on Chicago? He was on Chicago, I think. Yeah. So he was on Chicago and he was traded to Buffalo with JP Dumont, Dumont for Michael uh, Mikhail Grozik, which like Jesus Christ, <laughs> what the hell was Chicago doing? Well, their management was really inept for a lot of years. Why would you do that? 
were pretty dumb. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they were tanking. They were trying to they ended up getting some very high picks for a few years there. Yeah. But Grozik had scored 20 goals, I guess, the year before. So they guess they were like, hey, 20 goal scorer or something. And Gilmore's old. But like Dumas had a good career. Yeah, JP Dumas. Be- better than Grozik. Yes. Well, Groshek had a couple of good years where he was all right, though. Yeah, but like for Buffalo. Well, I, I would say the fact that like it's it's two players for one, I would say they definitely lost the trade. Um, I would say probably. Also, Groshek appears to have maybe been going to free agency. Mm. Oh no, he was traded again to the Rangers. Um, okay, so this is this is where it gets even stupider. <laughs> so they make the trade of the so the the Blackhawks make the trade at the trade deadline. Presumably, this was actually the Sabers trying to get Gilmore for a yeah. cup run in two thousand. And five months later, the range uh, the the Blackhawks trade Grosek um, with someone else for future considerations to the Rangers. Wow! So like they turned. Gilmore and Dumont into nothing. Wow. What what year was that? 2000. Oh, I, I think um, I think Bill Wirtz was still alive at that point. They're like notoriously cheap Blackhawks owner, kind of like their yeah. Howard Ballard. Um, yeah, so it was in, he was was just trying to not pay money. Exactly. He's like, oh, that guy costs too much money. He's not scoring any goals. Get him out of here. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, like, what do you want us to get for him? Whatever. Zero dollars, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, it, it must have been because it's it's just like, it's insane. I mean, anyway, it's it's interesting that Gilmore was involved in so many lopsided traits, right? Like, which this one has to be the most lopsided, right? Because at least in the other cases, you're getting players. Oh, yeah, this one's like, and the thing is, like, I, I, I like Groshek, but very clear with the Chicago was just jettis- jettisoning as much salary as they could. And he didn't have like his 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 best years were on Buffalo. Yeah. So like they literally and then they got rid of him. Yeah. And then he went and, and was a role player for the Rangers in Boston for a couple of years. After after Blackhawks got rid of him. Anyway, I just like I can't believe you you give up yeah, Gilmore's old, but like Dumont was a like Dumont had a good career. Yeah, well yeah, I would say like if you're against paying money, at least try to get some picks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe teams are anyway. like, no, you're trying to get rid of these salaries. We're not going to give you very much for them, like, you know. Yeah. You know. So lastly, we have the trade that when I was living in Australia, I hilariously believed that was going to somehow change the Leafs' fortunes that year and turn us into a cup winner. Um, because you know, I was like twenty-one, and uh fairly irrational when it came to this kind of thing. And that is uh, that he was traded by Montreal to Toronto for a sixth round pick who became someone named Mark Flood. And then infamously in Leaf lore, he, uh, he played one game and broke his leg or something to that effect. <laughs> I think it was his knee. Yeah, Dave Lowry fell into him. Yeah. And that was the end of his career. Uh, and no, the Leafs did not win the Stanley Cup because they traded for Doug, thirty-nine-year-old Doug Gilmore. Um, Good player. It was uh, even in Montreal, where they typically will not welcome a former Leaf with open arms. He was uh, 
he was so respected and well regarded by people. My uh, my buddy John, who you've met, um, yeah. When he when he heard the announcement on the radio that Doug Gilmore had been traded to the Canadians, went down to the Bell Center and demanded that they make him a Doug Gilmore jersey. They're like, well, we don't know what number he's going to get yet. And he's like, they're going to get 90. He's going to get 93 for sure. <laughs> and they're like, well, we don't know for sure yet. And he's like, just make me the jersey. And they're like, well, we haven't even made a nameplate for him or anything yet. And he's like, I don't care. I want it. Like, I have the money. Like, make me the jersey. And the guy's just like, what if he doesn't get number 93? He's like, it's last year the Habs won the cup. It'll be cool no matter what. Let's go. <laughs> so the guy made him the jersey. <laughs> he he had a Canadian's Gilmore jersey before Gilmore did. <laughs> that's That's great. Yeah. And then he also proceeded one summer to wear it for 93 consecutive days in honor of Doug Gilmore. So that's amazing. And then, and then he went and Gilmore went and had like his best playoff in years for them. Oh yeah. It was, he was all, and they, and he shattered that door in Montreal because they gave him a penalty and he was so far. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, So those are the trades. Um, He famously won the Selkie in 1993 by scoring 127 points, which makes you wonder. I'm not questioning that Gilmore was a real pain to pay against, uh, play against, but I find it really funny that like the best defensive forward in the league scored 127 points. I, I think he was, I think it was, he was a, at least, at least I would say equivalent to a lot of other defensive forwards, but then he could also score on you. Yeah. Like, you know, it was also it was a consolation, right? The famously, it was the voters saying, like, well, Lemieux has to win the heart. Yeah. So he was also top five in heart voting three times. He was top five in Selkie voting five times, including his win. It's also worth noting he was top six in, in Selkie voting another two times after that. And if you go top 10, it's like 10 times, basically. So he had a lot of acknowledgement for his defensive ability. Yeah. Um. He was only a top 10 offensive player once, but he scored lots and lots of points, as as we know, including 127 points in his career year in 93 when everyone scored at least 40. Um, you know, he was a... He was a... He had one year where he was actually in the top 10 in goals when he was still on St. Louis, but he was more of a passer, so he was top five in assists three times, top five in APG twice. So his best years, there's only a few years where he was, uh, he was a real like offensive star, but like he was a two way player, right? So like he was, you know, he may not have had as many elite years offensively, but he, he was he was good enough defensively, and he was among the better offensive players in the league while doing that. That like he was, you know, very valuable player. Um, also, it's worth pointing out that he won the OHL MVP after he was drafted. And he won the OHL scoring title after he was drafted, which is when the people who oh, the the twenty something teams that didn't draft him were probably like, "Whoops," <laughs> you know, because we had we had like five chances to do so, and then the Blues grabbed him. Um. So, uh, here's 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 the great teams the the thing where I feel like the case is really made. If you don't believe if for some reason you didn't believe that Gilmore belonged in the hall of fame, because as our friend Mike used to say, he had one good year, which is total bullshit. <laughs> but anyway, one good year, like he scored 110 points twice. And Mike's like and hundred points, three times. And Mike's like, he had one good year. Like, well, how do you figure he scored hundred points three times? Anyway, 
Um, so famously, he was the best player on the Leafs uh, team that went to the uh, conference finals, and many people think should have gone because of the horrible Wayne Gretzky call, should have gone to the um, finals. Um, and I just want to point out that when the playoffs ended, so he led the playoffs in assists and plus minus that season, despite not playing in the finals, first of all. Secondly, he had 15 more points than the next guy That's... on his team. Wow. In, in, in only 21 games. Man. So he scored almost, like he scored 0.67 points per game more than like Bershevsky or Clark or whoever it was that was second. Uh, he was the best player. Um, he, he once again, so uh, in uh, he was the best player on another Final Four, which were the 86 Blues, and he and Federko somehow tied for the playoff lead in points once again without playing in the final. So he had like these two years where he was just like, like ridiculous in terms of playoff scoring. Like just, you know, I just don't, I don't get how you, I don't get how you lead the playoffs in scoring um, when you don't play in the final. Yeah. Just in, the, in the eighties. I know. But it's because of the Habs, right? It was a Habs flames final. So. Yeah. And I, I think also the probably not only were they high scoring, but they were the guys who were doing the scoring for the team. Like their team didn't have like some teams, right? Like I, I would say for those guys, until they ran into a team who was clearly better than them all around, they would, they were just like, those guys were so unstoppable. The other teams like, we can't stop these guys. And so they would just rack up all the points. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the team would just sort of focus on shutting down the other side's quote unquote best players. Yeah. Uh, and then they run into a stacked team like the flames um, and they're just, well, oh, okay, we just ran into a team who is obviously deeper and better than us, and now they're the ones who are going to try to shut these guys down. And so, or 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 that even though Gilmore and Federico kept scoring so much, it didn't matter because the rest of their team was getting beat so handily by the Flames that they ended up, you know, bowing out. Yeah. And the Flames waiting for that one to get by the, the Oilers for... You know, getting by the Oilers was sneaky. <laughs> it's really tough to do. Yeah. Uh, they only did it twice, right? And I mean... Yeah, they did. Twice in uh, seven years? <laughs> yeah. So, he was also the best player on another Final Four, the uh, 94 Leafs, where he was not quite as far ahead as everyone else in terms of scoring on his, his own team. And then, of course, he was a uh, top three forward on the uh, Stanley Cup champion 89 Flames. Um, so, you know, when he wasn't the best player, he won a cup and the three other years, he was the best player, his team, actually the 86 blues were, that was a seven game series against the flames. So there's two, there's at least two uh, final fours that he was one game away from going to the Stanley cup final as well, when he was the best player. Um, sorry. Sorry. I was just marveling at, you know, how, how close he was to being one of those guys we talk about as like, you know, he won you know, four cups kind of thing. And like, yeah, yeah. He gets, he gets a little bit of goal luck and, and gets a different penalty call. And maybe like, maybe the narrative around him is significantly different. Cause then we can say he's a winner. Right. And, well, he won a cup. I mean, it's no, I know, I know. But I mean, like you win, if he had won like two or three. Oh yeah. 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 Like the narrative would be quite different. 
Um, so also he uh, he was a role player on the '87 Canada Cup that Canada won, and um, he was a top six forward, I guess, I think, uh, on a Memorial Cup champion in 1981 as well. So uh, I mean, he didn't. He was always in the playoffs as as befits his all time playoff stats. So he never played for like world champ, or if he did, he didn't play many world championships. You know. Um, yeah. His his international stuff is is minuscule because he was always in the playoffs, in uh, in the NHL. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it happened to a lot of great players. You know, they 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 have no international stuff because they were always in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I'm biased, but I think he's a lock. Um, oh, I, yeah, no question. First first ballot slam dunk for me because he could do everything. Yeah. And like like I said, there was a five year period where if it wasn't for Gretzky and Lemieux, you might say he's the best forward in hockey. Like he was fantastic. Like those Leafs teams that went to those two final fours. Yeah, they were like Clark and Gilmore and a bunch of role players. You know, Andrew Chuck and in goaltending. Andrew Chuck, yeah, yeah, and, but you know, yeah, and Dave Elliott. Oh, yeah. like they, their defense was solid, um, yeah. but they had you know really good third and fourth lines, and then. Gilmore just being absolutely amazing. yeah. I mean, like his his ninety three playoffs are just batshit crazy. Oh yeah, he was the, 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 the. I think that's the year he scored that famous goal against St. Louis, where he does the spinorama like three times, and then yeah, Cujo's in the snack bar, and you're like, how did he do that? Like, and that was an overtime, so really impressive stuff. He was a heck of a yeah. player. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, there's no question, but that's you know, I would agree. I'm, yeah, I'm very biased. Can envision a Hall of Fame without Doug Gilmore in it, just because he could play any style of hockey you wanted to play. Yeah, despite his size. Despite his um, size. More incredible. So, um, and the funny thing is, he's five eleven. So, like, <laughs> I, I read five nine somewhere. Oh, okay, well, you know what? He might be five nine, and they might have just like it might have been one of those things where they decided to measure him in skates. Or, or maybe he was 5'9 when he got drafted and he grew a couple inches after, yeah. which can't. Well, Wikipedia says he's 5'10. Hockey okay. Reference says he's 5'11. I wonder if he's 5'11 like my dad was once 5'11, which is that he was never 5'11. He just said he was. <laughs> one, one, one day I was like six feet tall and like looking at my father who kept telling me he was 5'11 and he was a couple inches shorter than me. And I'm wondering, like, you're not old enough to have shrunk yet, you know. <laughs> well, I remember telling telling a lot of people my dad was five eleven, and then I hit six feet exactly. Yeah, and I'm like, eh, I think I am quite a bit taller than my dad, but his posture was so good that it, like, it might be true for dad too because of the army stuff. Like, yeah, that was RCMP. Like the straight posture. Everybody thought my dad was six feet tall. I'm like, nah, he's like five nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then so I, 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 what I was talking about, I was, I was younger. I hadn't grown to my full height yet. Once I did grow to my full height and my dad started shrinking now and there's like a huge like, there's a huge <laughs> difference between me and my father. And like the idea that he was ever five eleven is just like it makes me laugh. Well you're also like, a giant. Yes, I'm also a giant. But like it's just it's it is amusing because he's like, you know, <laughs> he's 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 not tall. Um anyway. Uh so lastly we have Gordon Duke Keats, uh, who, um, like many of our old timers, um, has a very short NHL career. 
of like three seasons because he played in the leagues. So uh, his NHL numbers are, are paltry. You know, he had 49 points in eight games over the course of three years. Um, and he actually, uh, like a lot of old timers as well, who we've talked about, he didn't retire. He was just basically traded out of the NHL into the minors and kept playing. Because you did that back then, I guess, when you wanted to keep playing. You know, yep. he would play. So he was, he was, uh, he was only like, he was only in his early 30s, actually, when he was traded out of, uh, out of the NHL. And he would keep playing until he was 38 in the minor leagues. Which, well, I mean, why not? It's either yeah. that or show for the next rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> playing hockey till you can. Yeah. So, um, he, uh, I mean, we, we talked about, uh, uh, this, it's actually funny. I didn't even realize I was, I said, I said his, uh, his 82 game average, it, he only played 82 games in the NHL. So he has an easy to figure out 82 game average. Um, he, uh, if you, if you lower the quali- uh, qualifier to one season, he's ninth all time in adjusted points per game, but that is of course absurd. And when you adjust for era, he's one of these hilarious guys where he like scored like two points a game if you adjust for era because you know twenties were a different time, and the adjustment is terrible. Uh, he was traded four times. Mm, that's a lot. When he, when he was in the NHL, sorry, into the NHL, within the NHL for Frank Fredrickson and uh, Fredrickson and Harry Meeking, who were older, which is interesting, or or Meeking was. And then he was traded for someone named Gord Fraser, who was younger, uh, and Cash. And then he was also traded out of the NHL so a bunch of times. But his real his real claims to fame are um, WCHL and NHA. So in the WCHL, he is the best player in WCHL history by points, wow, and goals and assists. So 117 goals is first all time. 67 assists is first all time. 184 points is first all time. Uh, in 137 games, which is second, he is first all time in goals per game, assists per game, and points per game, and he is ahead of the next guy by 0.1 points per game. So, he is the best player in WHL, CHL history, uh, at least forward. Anyway, um, I think there's that's you can't really argue with that, right? Like, he's he's got the counting stats and the rate stats. He's number one in all six categories. And not only that, he's ahead of the next guy by a whole tenth of a point per game, which is a lot. Fun, yeah. Usually people are not, you know, usually it's like hundreds that they're ahead by. Um, his 30-game his average in the WCHL was 40 points in 30 games, so he was over a point per game for his career. Um, and he had, weirdly, the it does seem like the the scoring dropped off in the playoffs, just like uh, not weirdly, but it seems like it did that too. Cause he, he scored in his playoffs seven points in eight games. Okay. So slightly below point per game in the playoffs in the NHA. He had two good seasons. Um, he put up 47 points in 37 games, which might rank him as high as 21st all time in terms of assists, but we don't know. Cause that would, we still never like looked at every single NHA player. Um, <laughs> He didn't play full a uh, full two seasons though, so I haven't looked at like uh, where he would rank per game because like the qualifier would have been ridiculously low if I did that, right? Like he didn't play; he played two seasons, but like not a full two seasons. So like, it's not fair to the uh, the guys who played like four or five to say like this guy's ahead of him. 
but his uh, his 24 game average is 30 points. So once again, he's over a point per game in the AHA. And lastly, I only included this because of its weird status. He he played two seasons in the Big Four, and the Big Four was an amateur league that was actually a pro league. So there were tons of rumors around them that they were paying their players, which is why someone of Keith's status would have left, like he left um, his like, he basically didn't go into the NHL so that he could play in this. Like, so he, you know, like, like a lot of guys, he was drafted, went to world war one and he came back. He didn't join either the WCHL, the PCHA or the NHL because of this, Big four, he got reinstated as an amateur. So, like, why would you do that unless you were actually getting paid money, right? Of course. So he was also a star uh, in the big four, putting up 61 points in 27 games. Man. Because he was a pro player playing, presumably, against some NHL, uh, some amateur players. Yeah. Um, he had no playoff. By the way, he had no playoffs in the NHA and playoffs in big four. He put up. Uh, four points in two games, which is way less impressive than 61 and 27, but you know, playoffs are harder. Um, accomplishments. Uh, he was a top 10 assists both seasons he was in the NHL and top 10 points once, even though he was in his early 30s. Um, the WCHL list is long. Basically, he only led the league once in terms of goals and assists and points, but he was top 10 in every season and he was top five most all but one season so he wasn't necessarily even though we said he was the best player in the league he wasn't it he was like only one year where he was the absolute best player but oh he played longer than anyone else and he was more consistent than anyone else yeah um well played longer than all but one guy and was more consistent than everybody yeah and in the nha he had one year in which he was in the top five as well so yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty strong resume, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's like it's really long. Um, I mean, and just just in and of itself, for me, I'm inclined to go with just being the best player in WCHL history. I'm inclined to be like, okay, you're in. You know, like we did Cyclone well, Taylor, who was probably a better player, was like best player in PCHA history. And we're like, yeah, you know, like regardless of what else you did, yeah, and then, that's enough. Then you add that he pretty much kept that going in the other leagues he was in. So yeah, are you going to keep him out, right? Yeah. And his nickname so, is Duke, <laughs> Sorry? His nickname's the Duke. I mean, he's got to be doing yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. So um, other other uh, things, he didn't make the playoffs in the NHL because he was on, I believe, the Blackhawks. Sorry, no, he was on the Bruins, and then he was on the Cougars, and then the Blackhawks, none of whom were good when he was on them. Um, but WCHL, he was the best player on a team that lost the Stanley Cup to uh, an NHL team, which was the way that happened. And he was uh, the best player or a top three player anyway on another team that like that almost won that finished um, basically didn't quite win the WCHL finals. And he shockingly was the best player on a team that won the Big Four champion. That's a surprise. (laughs) That's sarcasm. Um, And he also won an AHA champion as a minor league player later um, later on his career as well. I mean, I, there's no question for me. Yeah, there's no question for me either. It's uh, when, when you're when you're you know you're number one in all the major offensive categories for a league. You know, yeah. 
only a five or six year stretch, like, dude, like if you average to be the best over the, that period of time, you're the best player in the league. Like, yeah, yeah. Consistently in the top five, you're consistently very, very good. You gotta give it to the guy. Yeah. And, and he, uh, like, he really, uh, I mean, he, he's, he did well everywhere he went. Even when he went to the NHL, he was still, you know, he's put up good numbers, even though he was older. Yeah. And on shitty teams. And, you know, when he was on good teams, he was, you know, briefly when he was on good teams, he did well. And, you know, even, even contributed to like a minor league championship, which I find fascinating because. Yeah. They still, they still wanted to play. Um, all right, shall we? Uh, shall we? Let's resume. Do our, yeah. So, Doug, wait. Uh, grudgingly, I guess not. <laughs> okay. okay. But I want to make a case for him for those middle years, but I'd have to sit down and really pull it apart, and then I think I'm still grasping at straws to get him in. You know, I'd have to buy a lot of people beer to get them to listen to me, probably as well. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry about Keats. I forgot to mention he was a player coach on one of those uh, Cougars teams. Oh, neat! Which is extra cool. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm a little more not on the fence with Doug Waite. I'd like to include him, but I just don't think um, there's enough. And I do think you're right. I think we things would look very different if he if he'd say retired at the lockout or retired after the cup. And we just we just look at those, and we might we might be more inclined. But um, Doug Gilmore, Doug Gilmore, slam dunk. Yeah, me too. And Duke Keats. Uh, I I never saw him play, so I don't want to like scream slam dunk. But uh, his stats seem to bear out that he was an excellent player and definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I'm I feel like I'm willing to say slam dunk just because I feel like. As we've just said many times, nobody in the early, like in the early part of the 20th century, in in the late teens, in the early 20s, nobody knew the NHL was going to be the league. The, yeah. the league, and so you can't blame players for picking other leagues over the NHL. And if you're the best player in one of those three leagues, three competing leagues in the early 20s, I think, like to me you can't not have that guy in. Like, what's your excuse? You could say, well, maybe it wasn't as good a league. I don't know if we even know that. No, but, didn't. like, it's not his fault that that happened because yeah. it could have easily been that the NHL could have folded and either the PCH area or the WCHL had succeeded. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'd be talking about Doug Keats as one of the greatest players in history, probably. So, I, I yeah, I, I, to me, I think he's a slam dunk. Yeah, I would I agree. Know. All right. Um, that actually does it for whatever year it was that Doug Gilmore got inducted. Uh, I should, I should tell us, uh, when was he inducted in the Hall of Fame? Like, was it, what, 2011 maybe? Um, 2011, yeah. So that's our, he's our last, uh, he's our last player induction in 2011, I think, of, of the 2011 people we have to talk, we had to talk about. And, uh, I'm just going to try to double check that while I'm talking. Um, Oh, I can't find it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so it's going to be a, a... Oh, I think maybe Dino might be. It might be Dino time. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. 
I just, it's so absurd. It's so absurd. I just love it. Talk that more when we get to him. But yeah, so I think our, if I'm not mistaken, our next episode will involve Dino Cicerelli and somebody else and two other players, but we'll have to figure that out in the meantime. So anyway, uh, thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next time. Take care.